Hi, and welcome to the Sailorville Church Podcast. My name is Abe Miller, and I'm here with my really good friend and missionary, Lucas Bear. Lucas Bear, yes. Hello, welcome. Everybody. Welcome. Uh, this is going to be like our very first time doing a podcast together. It is. Crazy. So Lucas and I were on staff together. How long have you been gone? <laughs> 15 years? Well, I came 14? on staff here in 2000. And so you came on shortly after that, didn't you? Yeah, I was in 2001. Yeah, so from 2001 to 2007, we were on staff together. Yep, and you were the you were the college. Yeah, you were the youth, and I was the youth guy. So yep. we were we were good buddies. We commiserated. We laughed. We cried. We prayed. We did all that stuff together. And uh, and then you and your wife Teresa. Yeah, we moved to Brazil back in 2009. So we actually came off staff to, to 2007. Started raising support, and then we headed off to Brazil in 2009 to be part of a church planning team, team down there. So uh, that's been, uh, and that's where we've been for the last 14 years. And with with your three boys. Yeah, I can't forget our three boys. Yeah, so <laughs> when we went down there, they were uh, ages eight, six, and four, and now they are, uh, all three are officially moved out of the house. Yeah. And when we return here in January, it'll just be Teresa and I. Yeah. I was talking to one of your boys the other day at our missions conference, and I was saying, because uh, you guys were at a church uh, a couple weeks ago, and and I was thinking, oh yeah, it's just Lucas and Teresa. Yeah. Like none of the boys are going with you, you know, and like which is just a completely different. Yeah, that's been a part of your life for a long time. Yep. So that part is a lot easier without the boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit different. So so what are you doing in the states? I mean, why why are you why are you not in Brazil? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. We we try to come back every two years for about two or three months to stay connected with our supporting churches and individuals, and also to stay connected to our family as our parents, uh, you know, our parents get older, so our time with them is, is super precious, so we always want to make sure we're up here every couple of years. Um, this time, though, is a little bit longer because there's a new agreement between the United States and Brazil with, with uh, Social Security that any expat American living down in Brazil, in order to maintain their Social Security with the United States, they have to come back. Uh, at least once every five years and stay in country for six consecutive months. So that's what we had to do. So we're back here um, right in the middle of a six-month stint here in the United States. And, um, yeah, so we'll be heading back in uh, into January. Into January. Yep. So Sailorville Church is your sending church. Yeah. We sent you guys out, and you, we just got done with our missions conference here at Sailorville, which we had four four different mission families, which was awesome. Super, super fun to like yeah, get was, to know everybody. And pretty awesome weekend. Yeah, hang so out. I'm still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, and then you preached on Sunday. Yeah. So, which was if you haven't listened to the message, it was very very good. Um, and really that that message. Why don't you just talk about it? Because that's really that message is really encapsulates a lot of your ministry in Brazil, what you guys do there, and so maybe just talk a little bit about what you guys do currently, sure, and your philosophy of ministry there. Wow, that's a big question. Um, so it, it's interesting. Back in two thousand, before COVID hit, really from about two thousand and fifteen up until about two thousand and. 21 or so, 22, we were partnering with a really large church in our city and a uh, great church. And uh, it was a church that had exploded from 300 members to over 2,000 in about a six or mm. seven year period of time. It was wow. amazing what was going on. I mean, God was doing some amazing things. Um, 
but it was interesting when COVID hit, uh, man, a lot of things were going on, but, um, some things took place during COVID that, that, that challenged us. And I say us, Teresa and I to kind of rethink what we were doing and what the future of our ministry would look like. Um, if you want, I can share with you just real briefly those yeah. two moments that were, I think, really crucial. There were like three crucial moments in the last couple of years that have been just formative for our church. Um, the first one was right when COVID hit. So down in Brazil, just to give you an idea, everything shut down. I mean, mm. absolutely everything shut down. And we didn't have in-person church services for a full year. Uh, and things didn't get back to normal for another six months after that. So it was really a year and a half of just a really strange uh, church experience. Um, and I remember when everything went online for us down in Brazil, and uh, I remember the very first church service online, I'd say service in quotes, uh, us, we're up in, the, we're up in our, our attic area where we had a little TV up there. It was, my, it was our, our boys and my wife and I, and we're watching the church service. And maybe you had this experience, or I don't know, but I'm thinking to myself, this isn't church. I mean, this is like I'm yeah. watching a guy. I'm watching a guy play his guitar and sing. And I'm trying to sing along with him, yep. and it's like this is the most awkward. It's like, do I force my kids to stand yeah. while we're singing? Yep. You know, oh, and, yeah. and we did that and, too. And it, it got done, and I'm just like, that was terrible. I mean, that was just not a good experience. Yeah. And it's really then because it, it, it clicked. I mean, it's, there's some clear things in scripture about this, but it's that moment that I think really helped me really understand it. That church is relationships. It's not an institution. It's not an event. It's a family, right? And you see that in scripture, mm-hmm. that metaphor of family, that descriptor of, of how God's our father and we're um, brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's that metaphor of family and that's relationship dynamic, right? And, and sitting there watching something and consuming just content on the TV and trying to call that church, like this isn't church. And that was really powerful to me. Um, and one of the things that clicked so the first the first epiphany I had was um, in that period of time we were overseeing all of the uh, church members on the south side of the city because the the church was in the north side like forty five minutes away and we had a group of about a hundred people that we'd build up to about hundred people on the south side of the city and we were kind of pastoring those one hundred and the idea was to make that into into a church plant one day. Um, but what dawned on me, I, I thought to myself, all the men here in, in the south side of the city. I'm not convinced that they can study God's word and feed themselves spiritually without a pastor preaching to them every Sunday. It just dawned on me in that moment. I thought to myself, wow, our church is gifted in preaching. I I didn't preach. Uh, We had five, five Brazilian pastors. They were incredible teachers. And that was the strength and one of the calling cards of the church is strong preaching. But what I'd seen is that the strength became a weakness because what I was seeing that was happening were the people were becoming so dependent on that that they were not, they weren't being taught or wasn't necessary for them to study the word themselves. And I could almost imagine what would go through someone's mind as they sat hearing the very skilled, gifted preacher preach on Sunday, thinking to themselves, I could never figure that out. I could never learn that. I could never see that in scripture. And, mm. and he does it so well and applies it so well. And yeah. I can just come here and it's just so good and so deep. I, I can't do that. So why don't I just not even try? I'll just totally fill up on Sunday and all this good teaching and application. And I coast throughout the week on that. 
So that there'd been there'd become this dependency, this called a spiritual welfare kind of situation where where the uh, the church was just coming so dependent on the teaching of the pastor. And now that was kind of taken away. Now you could do it on see it on video, but people weren't watching it, you know, as much. And so it's kind of dropping off. And I'm thinking to myself, these guys I don't know if they know how to study scripture. It was like shocking to me as I just thought about that. And so we started a Bible study just with the men there in the south side of the city. And we got together and I said, look, I'm not going to teach you how, how this isn't going to be a Bible study where I teach you. It's going to be a Bible study where we learn how to teach ourselves. We're going to learn how to study scripture, how to apply it. And the, uh, I won't say it quite how I said it down there, but I'll give you, I'll give you the PG version. Yeah, yeah, I'll be good. Uh, I basically said, it's time to uh, wean yourself off of the pastor. We can't breastfeed anymore off the pastor. We got, can't be little children now. Right. It's time to start to learn how to feed yourself. And that was this huge epiphany because I was seeing how the strength of the church was becoming a weakness in the lives of the people because they weren't needing, they didn't need to study scripture themselves. Mm. So that was one huge yeah. epiphany of how strong pulpit ministry left to itself can can be a strength, but it can generate a weakness. Um, so that, that was one moment. Um, and that really fed into our philosophy later on, because like today we have a very simple church and we don't have a preaching ministry. We, we really try to decentralize that and try to get the families studying the same passage throughout the week during the day, learning to hear from God, learning to be spirit led in their reading and study of scripture and hearing from the Lord. And then when we come back together, having these people share what God's been teaching them throughout the week. So it's kind of decentralizing the pulpit, um, the pulpit ministry. So that was one huge thing. The second one, and, and this was more intense uh, of an experience, about two or three months into the pandemic and the shutdown in Brazil, the youth ministries. Now this church had probably the best youth ministry that I've ever experienced, ever. It was amazing. It was God-honoring. It was it was God centric. It was it exalted Christ. It exalted the Word of God. It was awesome. And my kids greatly benefited and grew through that church ministry. I'm so thankful for it, the youth ministry. But during the pandemic, that shut down, and uh, um, there was no more youth ministry. It was like I had video stuff. And my kids hated it, and you know, after after a month, I, I wasn't going to force them to go to that anymore because they hated it, sitting watching some recorded thing and. So then like a month or so goes by, my kids aren't doing youth group. And I remember one morning I was on my couch and I was just kind of praying. I, I was in the scriptures. And I was, just, was kind of praying and, and just kind of thinking and, you know, it's kind of going off in my own thoughts. And I had one of those moments, one of those spirit-directed thought processes, you know, where it feels like, it's like you're talking to yourself, but you're like, I think, I think God's talking to me here in mm. some way, you know, because I'm yeah. having these thoughts that don't seem to be coming from inside me. But... I remember thinking to myself, Lord, it's been like a couple months since my kids have been at youth group. Where are my kids hearing scripture? Who is teaching my kids the Bible? Because the youth ministry is shut down. Right. And in that moment, I had the little, the little voice in her head that said, Lucas, that has always been your job. You just gave it over to a pastor, to a youth pastor wow. to do it for you. And I was, I was like, whoa. And that conversation started to go on. And in that voice, in my head's like, do you remember like three or four years ago, Lucas, when you were crying out to me on your knees every day, begging me to teach you how to pray. And in that time we had, I, I redefined to you what prayer looks like and what it could be. And, 
and and um, and we had these intense and wonderful moments of intimacy and prayer in the mornings together. I'm like, yeah, I remember that. It's pretty. I mean, it just redefined my idea of prayer. He's like, who's going to teach your kids how to pray like that? You don't know if I've given that experience to the youth pastor. You don't know what I've taught him about prayer personally. Lucas, I gave that to you to teach your children. That wasn't just for you. That's that's for you to pass down to your kids. Who's going to teach your kids how to pray like that if it's not you? And I I came under such he- I, I started to weep. I was under such heavy conviction that I had ab- abdicated. Is that, can you say that? Like you abdicate a throne? I don't know. I'm going to say it from the pulpit on Sunday, but I'm like, I don't think I know what that word means, and I'm not going to risk it here. But, uh, but like, I gave up. Um, how do you say it in Portuguese? I, I opened my hands to the responsibility and gave up the responsibility of teaching my children. But there were things that God had taught me in my spiritual journey that his expectations, I'd pass that down to my kids. And I, I just began to weep. I repented. I called my kids down. <laughs> Boys, come downstairs. And they come, they come downstairs. And I said, I'm, I want to teach you how to pray. I put on a little worship song. I said, we're just going to listen to a worship song right now, and we're just going to quiet our mind, and we're just going to start listening to God. And we're gonna, and I started to teach them just how to, how to, how to pray um, differently. But that was a moment where I was like, man, it was huge. It was, it was formative for me because I thought to myself, Lucas, you're, you're a missionary. You're a pastor. If you um, gave up your responsibility to raise your children spiritually and gave that responsibility to the youth pastor, how many more people in the church have done that? Right. And so it was right then that I, I was just convicted and challenged that, look, the, the church needs to figure out a way to help parents reassert themselves as a, the spiritual influences of their home and of their, in the lives of the children. And I really believe, man, if we can figure that out, uh, and that's what one of the things that that became like a central idea and theme of our of our church plant. If we can help parents um, restore their home to be this fountain of of, of spiritual influence and truth, and create a, a culture um, of Christianity in their homes, that's going to have ramifications for generations in these in these families and the lives of these children and their future children, grandchildren. So that became a super. That, that, that super. That, that was like a, a central idea to us, and so these ideas coming through COVID uh, were very profound to us. So very relational, uh, helping people uh, learn how to to study the scriptures on their own and and to to hear from God to and and for parents to reassert themselves as the spiritual influences of the children. Those became crucial components of the culture of our church. So much so that, like I told you, one. That's the reason why we don't have. We're not a sermon-driven encounter on Sundays. We don't. It's not sermon-driven. It's it, we facilitate com, uh, conversations around Scripture that we've all been studying in our homes with our children throughout the week. But the second thing, even more profound, profound, crazy, maybe it might be a better word, is when we invited families to start this new church plant with us. So right after COVID, we launched this new church plant. Um, we invited just a, just a couple families with us to start this. Um, one of the things we told them, we said, look. Um, we, this, I, this, I told each family, if you choose not to teach your children about Jesus, nobody will, because the church will not teach your children. We will not have youth ministries. We will not have children's ministries. So if you choose not to teach your children throughout the week, Jesus, nobody will. And that's going to be on you. Oh. Um, and <clears> so <laughs> that was, that was our idea. It's like, you know what, we're going to, so all these ideas, like this, this idea that the church is a family, it's not a business. 
It's not uh, an institution, and so the relational dynamic within the church needs to, re- needs to reflect that metaphor of family. In everything that we do, be it church discipline all the way down to discipleship, it has to reflect that family dynamic. Um, and so, um, so we just leaned into that. It's like, what do families do on Sunday? And old traditions, even in the United States and even down in Brazil, still have that tradition, like on Sundays you gather the family for a meal. Uh, that's part of the, in fact, especially in the poor communities on a Sunday in the poor communities, there's just like smoke lofting in the air and it's all these barbecue pits going on in these homes because they all have their family over. They're all grilling some meat. And it's like this cultural thing. It's like, can we lean into that? And and why can't the church gathering look like that? And so, you know, when you gather your family and extended family together for an event, you're not having children's ministries and get all the kids over there. Sometimes maybe you do, but, but everything's kind of together and it's, it's, it's a beautiful chaos and, and we're like, let's let's do church like that. Um, and so we that's how we launched out. And the first month, two months, it was like maybe three months. I, I hated every Sunday. It was so bad. It was horrible. Um, and uh, I did I I I remember telling Teresa, I'm like, Teresa, I don't even like our own church plan. <laughs> I don't even want to be here. And the reason why is because it was chaos. These little kids screaming and yelling and fighting and fighting over toys and running around and so loud and and we're just watching how the, the Brazilian parents were like, they didn't even like, I mean, they didn't even look at their kids. And the kids would be screaming, you having a conversation, they'd never break eye contact. It's like they didn't even know their they kids. They didn't hear it. Oh, and I'm like, this is not going to work. But but what we saw was, man, we really need to help these parents learn how to how to parent their children because it's like, it's a lost art, it seems like. Like, how do you, how do you lovingly raise your children but teach them to be disciplined and respectful and How's that? How do you do that? that that's not easy. That's, that's, a, that's a lost art. Um, because it seems like everything today in our culture, our society is pulling apart families. You know, we send our kids to school. They're there for eight hours. They go to some sport event after that, maybe some choir event. Parents are at work all day. They, 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 they're like ships passing in the night, probably don't have dinner together, have no meals together. Uh, maybe on the weekend, but on the weekend, the kids are out doing stuff. And it's like parents yeah. and children, just, they never even they have such little influence seemingly by design and um and as parents man we've got to understand the call that we have by god to raise our children um and providing a, a nice home and a nice car that's not raising your children it's a lot of parents i, mean, I, I yeah. talk to people it's like well i work this up much because i want to give stuff to my kids it's like dude work less give more to your children not not finances but time because 50 years from now, when you're dead and gone, your children aren't going to remember the nice car right. or the house. Yep. They're going to remember playing catch with you, having that conversation. And um, so it's just, um, we're just learning that that lost art form of parenting and trying to help parents. And so we had, a, we had to start pulling some parents aside and say, hey, we got some issues here. We're going to help you walk through this. And we had to start working with some parents and, and, and getting, so it's today, let me fast forward. It's been kind of amazing because now in our church, the kids, the little kids are on the floor playing with stuff. We have stuff for them to play with, but the older kids, like 10 and up, they're sitting around with the parents. They're praying with the parents. They're sharing things that they've seen in scripture. They're asking questions. They're, they're worshiping. They're doing all these things as, as a family. And you would think, because we're, we're, it's ingrained in our mind that we got to have something entertaining for the kids and, or, or they're not going to come. 
I don't know if it's just a miracle of God, but in our church, oftentimes it's the kids dragging the parents to the gatherings because the kids don't want to miss it. it mm. It's been it's been one of the most miraculous things I've ever seen in my life. Where, well, that, that might be an overstatement, but but it's just been kind of incredible to see these kids. They're like uh, they're eating it up. It's because they're they're being invited into an environment that's kind of foreign to them, and they're respected. And like when the kids share something that they saw in scripture in the week before. I mean, the church celebrates that, and so the kids they see that. It's like, oh, so right. this is a celebrated thing to, you know, to share stuff. And and the key component, and this is what's so I think this is so important. Here's the key component, or one of the key components. Um, I think we have it backwards sometimes in church, where we try to create some event on Sunday, uh, like this this step, like when you step into the church building, you step into this Christian culture. And you're hoping that rubs off on the families and the parents that they can take a little bit of that back at home and hopefully they'll rub off in their home. And so their home can start having this, this Christian culture. And what kind of, we've done that backwards where, where we really focus on helping the families, helping the parents create a Christian culture in their home and then hoping, well, and then have them drag that Christian culture into the church experience. Because when you simplify your church experience like we did, like we have, and everyone kind of, sorry, everyone kind of interacts and, and, and it's dependent. So like our church, our church gathering is dependent on people walking with the Lord throughout the week. Um, in the old form, in the old way that we did church, I could have a horrible week, not, not love Jesus, not do anything, yell at my wife, kick the dog, uh, stumble into church and the church service goes on normal. Right, it has right. nothing to do with me. Um, and, uh, which sometimes that's good, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> um, but it, it, with the way that we're doing church, if you know, you know when the families are struggling because the church service struggles. Mm. Um, and, there, and like when we came back on furlough, I told the people that we put in leadership, we said, look, there's going to be some Sundays where it just isn't great. People aren't talking. No one wants to pray. There's just that, there's that fog. There's that cloud hanging over everything. I said, in those moments, there's going to be a temptation to want to change something, to make the service cooler, to make it more fun, more engaging, to try to figure. So that's not where the answer is. You are, um, the answer is when those moments happen in the service, always remember the church gathering is a reflection of what took place throughout the week in the homes of the people. So if things get funky on Sunday, that means things are funky at home. <laughs> so that means you got to get, into the homes of the people, figure out how they're doing and start encouraging them again, you know, to get in the word, have that time with the family where they're reading scripture together and praying together. And, um, and so like our, our, our Sundays are, are, um, are not the catalyst of spiritual growth. They're the result of spiritual growth that happens throughout the week. But Sundays are also obviously a catalyst of spiritual growth. Cause when you gather the disciples together, there's encouragement, all that stuff's going on. But all, I just want to say, or to, uh, to, to, to talk about how, our Sundays are a reflection of the life of the church throughout the week. So it's, it's been very fascinating. Um, and uh, I'm talking a lot, man. I'm not giving you a chance at all to ask any follow-up questions. I've got follow-up questions but, once you're done. But Well, I ain't going to be done here. Out. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But let me, let me just share with you uh, something hot off the presses. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I had a phone call this morning, a, a video call with a, a family in our church this morning and it was it was an intense phone call in a good way this is a family he's he's the owner of a coffee shop and a restaurant 
And when, when they started coming to our church, they were already believers, but there was this complete dysfunction in the home. And the, they had gone through a separation. They'd come back together, but all the, the, they'd never worked through all the stuff. And it was just, I mean, there was just disunity and fighting and bickering and bitterness in, in the home. And the father was, was verbally abusive to his children. He, just, he was not patient with them, and he'd say mean things and, as he got frustrated, and, and it was just chaos. Uh, and then God started to work. We started to meet with them, help them think through some things in their marriage. And, and we gave them some tools. Uh, but God brought repentance into that home, and, and God started to restore that home. The two parents had the opportunity to baptize their two older children mm, wow. right before we came back, which was beautiful. Cool. But, but right now, this family has entered into a financial devastation. They're... they're, um, they're their coffee shop and restaurant aren't, it's not paying the bills. Everything's really slowed down in the economy down in Brazil. And, um, he's, he, I was talking this morning, he's in tears. He's like, um, the coffee shop, it only pays our employees. There's nothing left over. They're not living on anything. And he says, we're just living on debt. Oh and, man. And, and you can see the brokenness and he's weeping. And he says, um, he says, um, but Lucas, these tears, they're not tears of sadness and, and frustration. So there's tears of joy because I, I don't have anything else. But the one thing I have, what I've gained is my family. I, I'm sitting next to my wife who I will die next to. And he's just talking about this recommitment in their marriage. He yeah. says, I will die next to my wife. I mean, I, I married her until the end. And he says, in my children, he says, there's such unity in my home. There's such love in my home. We've, we're open to our kids. They know what's going on financially, and they're with us. In fact, he said, just this past Monday, he said, my kids asked, he said, Dad, can we do a Bible study together? I know we studied the passage for Sunday, but can we have our own little Bible study? And he said, so on our family day, which is Monday, as we sat down and studied the Bible together, and he said, he's like, Lucas, everything is is um, falling together I mean, my family. And he talks about how, just the unity in their home and and he's he's like i don't have anything but i have everything mm. and he's weeping i'm weeping i'm, I'm falling apart i mean there's I mean, it's, it's an ugly cry every he's uh. not coming down the faces and just seeing what god is doing in in the in the this man's life it it's just it's a miracle to know where they were a year ago to wow. see what i'm hearing and and he's talking about how how he started talking about our church and he's like he's like you know a year ago we started going to this church i didn't believe in this church it was just such a weird i mean he's talking about it just so simple and he liked big and loud and he, he that's what he loved and our church has none of that and he says he just talks about how god has just this past year has been transforming his home and his the lives of his children and his relationship with his wife and seeing his wife transformed by the gospel and and it was just it was just powerful and then he said something very 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 strong he said lucas there's and he's he's talking about a, a certain family that's really going through some struggles right now. He says, Lucas, there's people in the church who have everything, but they don't have this. Mm. He began to weep again. He says, in essence, he was saying, they have everything the world can offer, but yeah. they've got nothing. Their, their life is in chaos because their house is in chaos, and, they, and they're, not, they're not humble, they're not repenting, they're not walking with Jesus in their home, and they work so hard, and they have everything, but they have nothing. And Oh my gosh, we're just crying, I'm crying, and this is this, this intense moment, and and to see this guy who was so broken in a broken home and a broken marriage, and now God has has restored him and 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 has given life in his home, and now God's raising this guy up and he's ministering to this other family that's fallen apart, and he's right there and he's fasting with them and praying with them, and 
it's like I was looking at a spiritual giant yeah. who a year ago was totally off the reservation. And I, I mean, we were just, I was weeping and, and he was talking about how, how even though they have nothing, he's learning to be generous. Even though they have nothing, but he's figuring out how to be generous. And he has this, this, this passion to share the gospel with people. And he has all these opportunities and, and how, how he's, he's, they're going through such a difficult time financially, but he's okay because God's teaching him so much and how to be humble and dependent on him. And, and I'm just, I'm like, Holy cow, this is something that's just, uh, Amazing to watch, and and not saying that because we do church the way that we do it, we do a little house church and simple. That's not the answer, but but seeing people restored and seeing people striving to restore their homes, starting with their marriage, and having that relationship overflow into the lives of their children if they have children, and, and being family centric, trying to restore homes, um, it, it's been amazing because. Uh, it's not just one or two lives that are being impacted by this, but I mean, th- their children have changed and that's going to change the trajectory of their future. You start thinking 50, 100, 200 years down the road, these, these decisions, these parents are making this family, that's going to, this Lord willing will, will have a rippling effect into the future for generations. It's, it's overwhelming. It's amazing. So mm-hmm. that was just this morning. I, man, so I was, I <laughs> I mean, I, he can't understand English. So I know he's not going to hear this, but um, <laughs> we're praying, you know, and a little camera, and he's praying, and and dude, it's, the, the camera's kind of his phone is kind of down, and he's hunched over praying, and like snot's dripping all the way down. It's, it's so funny because I open my eyes for a moment, you know, and I see a snot ball coming down out of his nose, hanging down, swinging in front of the camera, you know. It's like, oh, oh my goodness! But it was just we were just a mess, weeping of joy, and 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 as we're praying together, it was it was quite the morning. Um, but is in that moment I'm like, man, Lord, I I. Uh, I, I'm thankful for what you've allowed us yeah. to be a part of. So. What a powerful story and illustration, like that that man you're talking about, like that the people who have they have everything worldly, but they have they don't have what I have. I mean that's a that's yeah. a great great illustration. And I guarantee there's gonna be people who are listening to this who are like, Lucas, I I don't have that at home, right? Yep. I don't know if it's even possible. Uh it is. It starts with Repentance and humility, looking at yourself first, striving to, to be the the revelation of Jesus in your home. And so often we're like, man, if if my spouse would just do this better, right. right? Right. And that's just a trap of the devil. You know, we gotta look at ourselves. Um, one of the things I've learned so much is that in our marriages, it's it's a relation. All relationships they're all formed of of actions and reactions. This is what I learned a long time ago. If I learned that if my wife isn't treating me the way that I want to be treated, then that's a signal. Like in the past, I'd be I'd be frustrated. Like, why aren't you, you know, why aren't you doing this? Or why aren't you speaking this way? Or and I'd think it's something that she's doing wrong. But I've learned that no, 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 she's just responding to something that I'm doing. So <laughs> if I'm if I see if, if Teresa's not treating me the way that I think I need to, should be treated, it's usually because I'm not treating her the way that she needs to be treated. So instead of looking at her and saying, yeah. oh, she needs to change, yeah. I always stop and think, okay, what am I doing wrong here? Am I loving my wife? Am I serving my wife? Am I, you know, so it's always looking back inside. The only person I can change is me. Yeah. And, and there's nothing, there's no guarantees, right? But there's a high percentage chance that when we start to walk with Jesus, that's going to influence our spouse to walk with Jesus. When we begin to, to serve and love our spouse and be the revelation of Jesus to our spouse, spouse that's going to have an effect in our spouse's life. They're going to, they're going to respond to that. 
and all of a sudden they're going to start treating us differently. And yeah, um, that's been a huge key. I, I now I'm getting off topic a little bit, but uh, just just to say, there's going to be people hearing this who who have strife in the home, and um, there's God can transform that, but it starts with 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 Him transforming you, whoever you are that's listening to this. So, just a thought to throw out there. Sorry, the parenting part of you know it's your responsibility as a parent to parent your children like that that's super challenging to me and convicting and I think like even those listening to this you know like if if it if your children's spiritual growth was based off of what you show them or what you teach them like where would our kids be like that's what I'm asking myself right Mm -hmm. like Abe it's totally not totally dependent on me obviously but like they're getting their picture of Jesus and the Bible and prayer f- only from me. It's not from Sailorville church. It's not from, you know, that, that's a, that's like a drop the mic kind of question to, that we all have to answer. I mean, cause that, you know, most of the people listening to this, you know, they're not in a church setting like you're talking about, right? It is, yeah, we go to a church or we go to a large church or we go to, you know, a really good church that we are, banking on the youth pastors or the pastor or the message, you know, and then throughout the week it's, well, do whatever you want, you know, and then here comes Sunday again and hope it's a good message. I hope they, uh, hope they speak to me. Kind of disappointed in the message on Sunday, like, rah, rah. yeah, but, yeah, that's really interesting, you know, because I, when I hear people say that this church is good because of the message or this is great church, they, they have great teaching. Well, that's awesome. But man, the church is so much bigger than than a one hour event on Sunday, right? It's a family, and as soon as we, I think, as soon as we start seeing the church as a family, that's gonna that'll challenge the way that we do things. So as I show up on Sunday, it's like I'm coming to a family gathering. So what's my part in this, right? So I'm hearing a guy teach, hearing someone speak, these moments of worship. But if my interaction with the church is simply staring at the back of somebody's head as I look at a stage then we've got to expand what our idea of church is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and and that's not just on the leadership trying to figure something out. That's that's on us, right? Like the, every person in a chair in the auditorium, it's like, how, how am I interacting with these people throughout the week? Am, am, I, am I investing in, in someone's life? Are we having, am I having fellowship with anybody? Are there people in my home? Am I inviting my, my, fe- my fellow family members? When I say family, I'm talking about the church, into my home? Are we breaking bread together? Are we laughing? Are we praying? Are we crying? Are we having these interactions? Or are we just kind of like a, or does our church family reflect what our our, our home family is like, where we're off doing different things, our own lives, and every once in a while the, the ships pass in the night on a Sunday, and that's that's it? That's, that's um. To me, that's that's a that's a strong thought. It's a convicting thought, and 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 that question you're talking about with that's a that's a tough question. Thinking about man, if my kids they only learn from me and whatnot, I mean, that, that was a tough question for me, and in it, and it, it generated tears and repentance. And I think as parents, I think a lot of us, and as spouses, and as uh, members of the family of God on Sundays, it, as we think about how, what we're doing and what's going on, it, it needs to generate cheer, tears and repentance. I was talking to a guy this morning, we were talking about uh, forgiveness and how often we'll say to our children, you know, like you, you should, you know, you need to ask for forgiveness or you, you should go and grant forgiveness or whatever. 
we expect our kids to do that, but like we as parents, like have they ever seen us like repent or confess and or ask for repentance, even though we expect them to do that? What but I, I take it to what you're saying, you know, like I want my kids to follow Jesus. I want them to walk in purity. I want them to make good decisions. I want them to read their Bible, you know, like and and we have to say like, yeah, but are we doing that? As parents, are we doing yeah. that? You know, and that's a for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. And as my as my kids get older, you, know, you see it. It's like, and they they're such a reflection of Teresa and I, for better and for worse. Mm-hmm. Which I, I think that's why sometimes, as parents, we get so frustrated with our children, like because <laughs> you see yourself. In yeah. Them. Because we see our own weaknesses. Yep. It's like I remember one time, way back in the beginning of our time in Brazil. I was uh, helping a, a brand new church plant in a very poor community, and the pastor and I went to a house of a deacon. And long story, he was a drug addict, and it was tough. Tough. It was a tough meeting, and um, we're sitting at his table. And I, I, I kind of had a Pastor Pat moment. That's that's not nice to say. I <laughs> pound my fist on the table, <laughs> and, and I was like, "Don't you see what you're doing is wrong?" You know, it's like that, that intense moment. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and he just denied it, not just denied. He, he was super proud. There was no yeah. repentance. And I remember driving back out of his house with his pastor, and I was like, uh, "Man, it makes me, his pride makes me so angry." And my pastor friend, he says to me, "Do you know why his pride makes you so angry?" I'm like, "Why?" Because you're proud, mm. and you see your sin in him. Wow! Ouch! That, <laughs> that was a, that was a. Knife to the gut, as yeah. you say in, in Portuguese. But it, it was so true. And I saw it in my own kids, too. It's like, why don't you study more for, for your for your test for school? Well, Lucas, how much did you study? You know, it's like it's like all the all the uh, all the, the weaknesses of, yeah. of of not being organized, of not being a good worker, of giving up too easily. And all the and I get so frustrated at that. It's because I'm seeing my own sins in my children. Right. So that's so that's challenging. So. I just say that because as parents we'd be dealing with our own sin mm. and and uh, and not not get frustrated or angry when we see our own sin. When our kids become a mirror of us, uh, it's easy to get angry. But yeah. anyway, our kids ref- reflect us for better or for worse. Yeah. Know? One of the things I think you and I have talked about is that this is this model that you guys are doing in Brazil is not it's not um, a big growth plan of like, uh, you know, it's church growth and we're going to get big and huge and multiplication, multiplication. I mean, you have said it, it's a slow burn. It's a slow process. Yeah. It is not, oh my goodness, it's just exploding because of, because of the culture. But then also you can maybe talk about that, but then also like, what do you do on a Sunday morning? It sounds like it's pretty simple. It's not yeah. like it's this super complicated thing. So sure. maybe maybe talk about those two things and we we'll probably wrap it up. I mean, this has been really good. You've you've given us a lot of good things to just think about personally and what we're doing. Um, Q, Q, uh, repeat the question. Yeah, repeat the question. What, <laughs> well, the first one was questions the, there, yeah. the growth the growth oh, yeah, yeah. part, part and then and then just what do you do on Sundays when you do gather? What does that look like? Yeah. So. Um, um, and this comes back so much of what we're doing is coming out of our own experience of what we've had in Brazil and, and our own interaction with the culture there and the Christian culture there. Um, in our former ministry, we were, we were really what we were doing were 
we were um, pastoring small groups. We started with one small group, and our job really was to build out that network of small groups. Um, and back then, the idea was, well, then we'd uh, one day join those small groups together to be a church. Now, that never materialized, but that was the vision back in the day. And so we're just working with small groups and networks, and, and really what we're, we're doing kind of the same thing now, but the small groups aren't part of the church. The small groups are the church. Um, but... Uh, our partner church had a model at that time that was a very uh, aggressive growth model. And the, the mantra, I don't think you should use the word mantra, the, the motto, <laughs> let's use Christian terminology here. Um, the motto was, you know, a healthy small group multiplies at least once a year. And it was like small groups are growing, they're expanding, they're multiplying at least once a year. And it was like fast, fast, explosive growth, explosive growth, boom, 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 boom. It was like this constant push. When you form a new small group from day one, you've got your multiplication day on a plaque up in front of everybody, up in front of everybody. So everybody knows, you know, this date, you know, eight months from now, this, this small group is going to multiply. So that means we got to grow. We got to train up leaders. We got ready to, everything is so focused on fast multiplication. And for a couple of years, dude, it was exciting, growing, and then it just, the whole thing collapsed because it just was really broad, but not very deep, and it just collapsed. Um, and the whole time I kept thinking to myself, it's like, man, we're able to, to grow these small groups and we can multiply them out fast, but I don't feel like we're making any disciples. <laughs> I'm just like, are we really hitting the goal here that like Jesus asked us to, to hit? Um, and so I got really turned off on models that, they try to sell themselves based on speed. So like every time I'd hear someone even talking about house churches, Oh, we got to do house churches because it's uh, it's the fastest way to reach the people. And it's going to, it's going to explode and do it this way because it's fast. And all over the world, it's like thousands are getting saved every year. And it's like, as soon as someone, now this is just me, this is my skepticism uh, having to me, but as soon as someone starts talking about use this model of, to make disciples, because it's the fastest way to make disciples. As soon as they say that, it's like, I, I can't hear anything else they're saying because it's like speed kills. I, I'm convinced of it in my own experience. Every time I try to make disciples fast, it fails. Short-term success, long-term failure. Mm. Um, and that's been really reinforced with us down in Brazil and the culture where we are in southern Brazil, where the average time of evangelism start to finish is a year and a half to two years. It's a slow process. So you celebrate the, the baby steps. And when someone actually comes to know Christ, it's a huge celebration. But it, it's a long-term, I mean, it's it uh, just takes a while. And then just seeing that discipleship's the same way, right? Because once we redefine discipleship as not simply the, 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 the passing down of information, but it's passing down a lifestyle. So right. it's that information married to obedience and not, not just trying to shove them full of information, hoping that some of it sticks, but say, oh, hey, we're going to teach you something here, and now we're going to obey it. We're not going to go on to the next thing until we figure out how to obey this, one, this what we've already learned. That slows everything down. Um, discipleship can't be a classroom setting. It's more than that. It's, it's you're passing down a lifestyle. Information with obedience. It's a lifestyle. That's good. And that just takes time. You can't, you can't short-circuit that. You can't, there's no shortcuts. Um, when you're trying to go fast... Short-term growth, long-term failure. Um, that's, that, that, that's my experience. Um, and so we just started, we stopped having like goals of like numbers and dates. We just took those off. It's like, no, every person is unique. Every family is unique. Every moment's unique. And it's just a process. 
once you take out for for me, and again, this is so very personalized. Other people can do it other way. This is just how my mind functions and my experience. But for us, as soon as we start taking out the the goals of that person and the dates and you know the numbers, it allowed us to have more patience with people because oftentimes we'd get so frustrated with new disciples when they're not growing as fast as we want them to, or they, or when they fall back into sin. Or but it's like, hey, every every journey is very personal, right? And, and so it's just. We're just going to go as we go, and here's the process, and it's just a part of a process, and we're walking with them through this process. And, and you know, if they're not moving as quickly as we want them to, hey, that, you know, everything's, you know, it's, it's very personalized. And it allows us to be more impatient, learning to be more patient with people and, and, and joining them in the process yeah. and not having some of these expectations. Um, but that's been very, that's been really challenging to us. And, and so, like, in our, in our, in our house church, and because uh, you know we're in the business of making disciples, that's what we do. That's that's the one thing that Jesus told us to do. That's the one thing: make disciples. And so that's what we want to do. We just want to make disciples. And we don't. I mean, I, I'm like, I don't care if our house church gets big or we multiply a thousand times. That'd be fantastic. We just want to make disciples. If that even means we make disciples, and at some point they end up at a different church serving the Lord there, awesome. They didn't leave the family. Right, There's right. a different location, right? And so we just want to make disciples. We don't. We don't. We don't think about numbers and those kind of things. Um, but what I'm what I'm convinced of uh, this is my sneak, my sneaking suspicion. Um, if we go slow now, when I say slow, just walking with people, restoring homes and families and husbands and wives and children. As we go slow now, and just continue going slow, making disciples. If you like a hundred people going slow, making disciples from a distance, that looks really fast, right? <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden it starts, yeah. becomes very exponential. Yep. So kind of the, th- the thought I, I kind of tell myself is I want to go slow now. So there's exponential growth later, right? So I want to go slow now and really make good disciples who know how to make disciples, right? So often I think we, we train disciples not to make other disciples, but to, to make invites, it's like I disciple you so that you can invite your neighbors to our church Sunday experience, mm. and then the professionals take can, over, can, yeah. can take over, right? And trying to turn that around backwards and say, no, we want to make disciples that know how to go out there, and they can start making disciples in their their network of relationship that God has placed them in. And it's almost like you know, it's it's inviting people to join the mission, right? And I really believe that every follower of Jesus is a part of Jesus' mission. Mm. And uh, um, some people have better, different gifts or can handle certain situations a lot better than others, whatnot, but everyone's a part of that process. Um, and so if we want to make disciples that make disciples. Um, and you have to go slow to do that, right? Yeah. Um, I think part of the thing... The only way we can go fast to make disciples is is if we if we change the process. And so I don't need to teach you how to raise your children. I don't need to teach you how to start a conversation with someone, lead them through the gospel, through a Bible study, uh, uh, bring them to Christ, baptize them, disciple them, help them with their marriage. That, that's, that, that's so much. That, that's, that takes a long time, right? And so instead of, because of this cultural thing we have to go fast I'm going to short circuit all that. So I just want to get you to know Jesus. And then all you have to do is invite people to church. The professionals now will take over. That's, that's really good short-term growth, but I don't think it's long-term. Mm-hmm. I think COVID showed us that because when COVID shut down the church, it was like, 
whoa, okay, how are these people going to do without, without, you know, yeah, the the church here. And when I say the church, I'm talking about the Sunday experience. How are people going to do without that? And to me, that was like a, oof, we got to rethink this a little bit because I don't think we're making disciples. I think we're making attenders yeah. who, who who believe in Jesus. Now, look, someone who believes in Jesus is a disciple. So I, I, I don't think that you trust in Jesus and in some future date you become a disciple. I'm not saying that. But what I'm just trying to communicate is is we're good at making attenders, I think, sometimes. People who, they're disciples. They're not very good disciples. You know, they, they, they're dependent on all these other things. And again, I don't want to talk down about this stuff because... Holy, holy smokes, dude. Like walking into the church in the United States and the experience here is, it's amazing. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And we live in a culture and a place that we're able to do this. Many places in the world, you can't do right. this. In fact, the places that we want to reach, places that we talk about the most, this is illegal. You can't even do this. Um, and uh, man, if we want to send people there, we need to help them have an experience here that fits, that makes sense, right? But um. So I'm not saying that this is bad. I'm saying that sometimes the strengths of the church can become the weakness in the people mm. because the church is so good at teaching, at youth ministry, children ministry, preaching ministry. All, they're so good at that. Praise the Lord. But if we have to not allow the people to fall into the trap of just saying, oh, they're just going to do it for me. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need to figure out how to do this in my house, in my own life, because they're going to do it for me. Yeah. That's really, really good. This is a really challenging conversation. We got to wrap it up, but I do want you to. I'm just getting started, yo. No, I know. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I do quickly, quickly do the what do you do on Sunday morning? Oh, yeah. Just hit that real quickly and then we'll wrap this up because this has been really good. A lot of stuff to think about so, and chew on. So, um, most like, like if you're a part of a small group at a, at a church, like here at Cedarville, which by the way, you've got to be part of a small group um, because that's going to bring you a more. Uh, not not more a, f- a fuller biblical experience of what the church is right right if if you if your only experience with the church is on sunday you're you're not missing really it. no um that's got to be coupled with the small group experience it's that small group intimate intimate time of sharing of life on life and those relationships you know that's you're going to find the church experience there more than anywhere else. And so I just want to challenge you to be part of a small group. But I say that because our, our church functions like a small group. It's just, that's the church, right? So um, oftentimes when you bring family together, so again, this metaphor of family, we, we lean into that. When you bring a family together, you always have food. I mean, how often have you had a family gathering at your house and didn't have food? Mm-hmm. Um, that's even biblical. I mean, that's a whole nother, you can talk about, that's a whole nother topic about the importance of breaking bread in the midst of the gathering. But so we start with the breakfast, which is kind of people coming in and, 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 and people, Brazilians are notoriously late. It's a beautiful thing because that's kind of how I am. So the breakfast actually functions as a buffer Drive me time. crazy. <laughs> um, the breakfast actually also functions as a buffer time yeah. for people to get there yeah. a little later. So we have like a half hour breakfast and we get together and, you know, we don't have someone that knows how to play guitar, uh, music. And so, uh, so what we do, we, we still have music. You, you don't need music, um, but we decided to do some music. So we have a little speaker about the size of my hand. <laughs> and we just have a, a playlist and we, th- we, we have like a, a chat group and I drop the lyrics or someone drops the lyrics, a song in there and we play it and we, we, we sit in a circle, right? Yeah. We don't sit in rows, we sit in circles 
and uh, and we sing. And it's, I mean, at first you're like, you're looking across the circle and like, am I really singing this? And, I, <laughs> and but you know, after a while, it's like, it's okay. And everyone kind of leans, people yeah. close their eyes, and we have some actually real neat worship times there. And then we pray for each other. That's something I think is so central is is the disciples need to be praying. <laughs> and so we pray for each other. And yeah. there's, and you know, if, a, if someone who doesn't know the Lord is there, you know, maybe for the first time, we don't get a ton of visitors and that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother paradigm shift. We do get some, but we want people to go out, not, not to drag people in so much, but it happens. But, the, but when someone stumbles into our gathering, it, it could be weird. It's like, these people are just like praying for each other, you know, for like a half hour or so, but whoever, and sometimes longer depending on the prayer request, but we pray for each other. Um, like a family, you know, a spiritual family. And then we, th- then we go to the passage of the week. Oh, no, back up. We also, part of the worship time is we have testimonies, like uh, people sharing if they were able to um, obey the passage of Scripture the, the week before, you know, that we really drive home. We got to learn, we got to figure out some way to practically obey the Scripture we're, te- we're learning. So we have a time of testimony. Hey, how'd that go? Were you able to obey the Lord and the thing you said you're going to do? Hey, any other God stories this week? And like, there's testimonies of the church, and that's a part of the worship. It's, it's, and so there's a testimony time every Sunday. Then we get into the passage of Scripture. We read it out loud. All the kids, then this is kind of fun. I don't know why this, this kind of happened. Then the kids, after we read the Scripture, the kids work together, and they try to retell the passage, the story or whatever. They try to retell it in their own words. And that became this huge thing. They have so much fun doing it, and then like, it's just really cool. Um, it's just a small thing, but it's like yeah. uh, it's it's really drawing the kids into everything. Uh-huh. And then and then it's, we start with a couple of questions. We say, hey, what what jumped out to you this week? And sometimes that's the only question that needs to be asked. And there's a lot of conversation, in deep conversation, shocking things, uh, powerful, and just seeing the spirit of God speak to the church. Oh, it's it can be powerful, and we've even had unbelievers in our midst who have studied the passage share deep things that God revealed to them, even though they don't even, they're in the process of knowing Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, holy smokes, this, this lady just said something so profound. She doesn't even know Jesus. I mean, we had an unsaved lady one time we were in the past and she's like, people, you have got to be telling people about Jesus. If you, if you didn't tell someone about, I, I would never hear it. There are people like me all over the place. They'll never oh, hear wow. about Jesus unless you tell them. Wow. I'm sitting like, I could have said that, but here, someone who doesn't know Jesus, who's like, you've got to tell people like me. That was yeah, powerful. So yeah. there's these moments that the, the spirit of God causes that are just intense. Uh, so we, and, and if things aren't quite going, we'll have two questions that we ask, like, okay, what's this passage teach us about God? And so just a simple thing, start going through that. And then like, what's this passage teach us about people? And just, it, it, we always use those questions if we need to. It, and for those of you in the know, you'll realize that our, that we kind of base our, our gathering off something called the discovery study. So if you're interested, look that up, Discovery Bible Study. So uh, that's a whole other conversation we have for, for a different day. So then we do that, and then we uh, uh, we make an I will statement, like, okay, how are we going to obey this passage this week? And that's really cool. So it's a practical way. Just We want learning and obedience to always be connected. Uh, so we have a little piece of paper passed around. People make an I will statement. Those who want to share it can. Um, and then people like, Steal each other's I will statement. You know, they'll have one, but someone will say something like, I'm going to do this this week. And it's like, that was better than mine. I'm going to do that. You know, yeah, so we have people, yeah. it's kind of, a, it becomes like a little game. It's kind of fun. Uh, and then we close uh, in communion. And we, we do communion every Sunday. And, uh, you know, that's not part of my tradition growing up, doing communion every Sunday. Holy smokes. Uh, that is a, that is an intense, precious time. 
when here's something's really cool. I'm gonna get off. I'm gonna take my. I'm, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll, I'll make this short. But here's something really cool. You know, Jesus didn't pass down to us a doctrinal statement. Now, don't read too much into that. I'm not saying doctrine's not important, but you know, we 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 struggle. We think a lot about our doctrinal statement. And I thought to myself one day, what? Why didn't Jesus give us a doctrinal statement? Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> uh, but what did what did he give us? He gave us baptism and he gave us communion. Those are the two things he passed down to us. Yeah. And I, I started thinking about that. It's like. And those two things that he passed down to the church, they are theologically deep and rich. And if the church is like doing those two things, those two things teach the church a lot of doctrine. And I've, I've learned that in doing communion every Sunday, because as, as we reflect and talk about and, and about communion, it's like, man, every Sunday we're reflecting on the death and burial of Jesus for my sins. Um, and just reflecting on that, it becomes like this deep theological moment for the church every Sunday. So that's a powerful and important time. I remember one time I was explaining communion, but just, you know, the, the gospel is like built into the communion, right? I mean, just what it represents. And, I, and we had some visitors that day and there's someone in the church that said, Hey, I noticed that you really share the gospel through communion. And I assume you did that because we had visitors. But what she didn't realize, I said the same thing I say every Sunday. Oh. Um, I said, no, I didn't do that because we had visitors. Um, it's because the church needs to hear the gospel every Sunday. Right. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's the central thing. I did that for you, not for them. Yeah. It was a benefit that they got to hear that. But having, having that being very central to our gatherings on Sundays has been really powerful and, and special. So, and then, then we get together, and after that, we have, a, uh, we have lunch together. Uh, we have a, usually a grill out. There's meat and there's salads, and, and people hang out for another th- two, three hours. Uh, kids are playing in the yard, and 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 families are talking and laughing. And, um, and so we have this, it's like a family, like right? having a meal together. So our, our gatherings, they start at 10 and they go until two or three in the afternoon. It sounds wow. crazy, but it's, but it's, it's because it's like a family gathering. Yeah. You know? And, yep. and it's, it, it's pretty, I mean, it's really been good. It's really been, it's really been special. Yeah. This, this has been really good. Really good. I was not anticipating the conversation going this way necessarily, but this has been really good. I feel like I've got to go back through it and, <laughs> and ask myself some questions. And edit, maybe and, edit some things. <laughs> no, not edit it, but just go back through and be like, oh man, that's, I don't know, like I just got to like think about it some more, you know, and really ponder and ask my heart questions in my own heart, which I think, you know, those of you who are listening to this, there's some really good stuff here. There's some really good things to ponder and pray through and think through. So I'm just, I'm unloading a lot of the things that God has been teaching me and Teresa in the last three years or so, yeah. four years, all in all into one little podcast. So it's a lot of things, right? <laughs> but it's just been a lot of it's just yeah. been a pretty intense journey for us. Um and uh it's been pretty it's been pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, if you're listening, pray for Lucas and Teresa Bear as they continue to do ministry in Brazil and um your kids are staying here, going yeah. to school in the States and yeah. uh, pray for them. Yeah, as well as they've got decisions to make, and one's getting married, and yep, in June, yeah, yeah. it's a lot of a lot of exciting things uh, coming down the pike here. So, yep, super cool. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for sharing. Love you. Love you too. And uh, we'll keep praying for you that God will keep developing and using your church in Brazil, which is super cool. Thanks, praise the Lord, man. Yep, appreciate it.